So I was going through some old clips today, and I found a March 29th, 1995 Tennessean piece that I wrote about the band Sponge, which was coming to Nashville. And my lead was, if nothing's in a name, then the five members of Detroit Sponge sure are hard-pressed to manufacture a reason for success. There they sat three years ago, known as Loud House and putting out a record on Virgin, and the music then was amazingly like the music now. There was one difference, the tag. Bands don't choose names like Iron Maiden or Wasp anymore, said Sponge lead singer Vinny, whose group opens at Vanderbilt tomorrow for live. For us, it was going to be Sponge or Electric Cattle Gods or something like that. Something different. And here's the thing. What I should have focused on is why Sponge's lead singer went by Vinny. No last name, just Vinny. I mean, I interviewed Vinny for the story. I probably spoke to Vinny for 20 minutes. And not once did I say to Vinny, so what's with the pretentious first name thing? I'm sure it was either because I was something of a wuss or I just wasn't smart enough to know that on occasion, the best thing to write about is also the most obvious. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, a podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Leah Van, one of sports writing's most promising young guns and the LSU football and baseball beat writer for The Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This is episode number 244. Let's sing some Yang. All right, Leah, as we speak, you are sitting in your apartment in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, correct? Yep. And you are the LSU uh, football and baseball writer for The Advocate. You started this job in October. You jump off in the middle of a pandemic onto a huge beat with a brand new coach. You know nobody. You've never covered this team before. You can't just go and meet everybody because of COVID. It's not like the old days. Big, broad question. What has that been like for you? (laughs) That's what everybody's been asking. Um, While we are in a pandemic, it is Louisiana. So people are a little bit lenient down here. Um, When I first started, we were doing Zoom interviews, which I will say, um, and at the time, I started about the week before Coach O got fired. The first time I met him was over Zoom. And I asked a lot of people about this when I did get this job was, is it okay for me to kind of sit back and kind of see how a couple press conferences play out before I kind of really start asking questions and stuff. And cause I had done a lot of research on the team, but I had been covering the Iowa Hawkeyes for the past eight months. So I will say like with zoom, I felt a little bit more comfortable asking questions um, just because you're not in person, you do get called on. So about the second press conference is when I started asking questions. And then after Ed Orgeron got fired, I guess he still had to finish the season. It was kind of lax. Like uh, I felt okay asking questions. And, you know, once I'm starting to cover games and then, you know, things started to go in person. And so then I started to meet the players. I got to meet every, all the media members in person. You know, I felt like it was just another beat after about two weeks, but the first like two weeks where everything was zoom And, um, you know, it was a little bit intimidating, but it was kind of like, okay, if I'm able to ask at least one question in a press conference, that's a win for me. You moved to the state that doesn't seem to take COVID very seriously. You're a smart human being. 
So you show up at different things and I'm imagining masks are kind of a mixed bag. I imagine people don't seem to be taking it particularly seriously. Maybe I'm wrong. We had to wear masks at first. So, um, and then they kind of like, and they kind of got a little bit more lenient after a while, but yeah, we had to wear masks at the first like couple of in-person things. A lot of people have talked about sort of the discomfort about even just going back to interviewing people in person and the kind of the weirdness of it all and the, the distance that now seems between people. Did you feel any of that? No, I'm a people person. I feel like the conversations flow better in person. What's unique about LSU is um, when we get the players, uh, they give all the writers, the players at a table. And then after the players are done with us, they'll go to the TV people. So it's not like the scrums that I was used to having at Iowa. Writers and TV people ask very different questions. But when you're at a table and you're sitting at a table with a player with all these other beat writers, we're all kind of wondering the same things. The conversation flows very easily. It feels very relaxed. And everybody was also, even the players were quite excited to be in person and kind of see us. And they were all like, oh, it's nice to meet you in person. And nice to know you actually exist. Like it was actually kind of this really awesome transition. It was like, they kind of appreciated it. When you walk onto a new beat, do you feel the need to tell everyone, hi, I'm Leah Van, I'm the new reporter so-and-so, I worked in Iowa, or do you just assume they don't give a shit and you just go straight to uh, what kind of defense will you be playing or whatever? I just say I'm new. Like I, I would, I would introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Leah Van, I'm new here. I work for the advocate or something like that. I don't tell them where I came from. Like I didn't feel like that was important, Um, but I did feel like it was important to tell them that I was new um, because obviously they hadn't seen me in the press conferences before. And I just wanted to let them know that like, you know, not that I didn't do my research, but if I asked them something that maybe they've been asked a million times before and they were familiar with why. And I also just felt like, I owed it to them that way because if this stranger is walking into this press conference or walking into this interview situation, you have no idea who they are. Are you really going to answer their questions? Well, are you really going to gain their trust? So for me, it was almost like, this is how I gain their trust. And I'm a very empathetic person. I just want them to understand I'm there to understand their story. I just felt like that was important. There's an age old question that I don't know the answer to, which is, do they give a shit? Like, do the players and the coaches actually give a shit that you're an empathetic person, that, you know, you just want to tell their stories? I don't actually know the answer to this. I don't know if the wide receiver for LSU or the assistant running back coach for LSU gives a shit who we are or just, all right, there's a microphone. I'll talk to you. It's part of my job. You probably don't. But I do think that when you are like closer to their age group, they are kind of like, oh, this is this is kind of fun to talk to somebody like our age For me, I just want to make it so it's not this thing that they hate. You know what I mean? Um, As long as it's something that they don't hate doing, then I think that's a win. As far as them caring, I can't control that. Let's say I was coming in instead of you, okay? And I'm 49 years old. And you're how old are you, 24? 26. 26, okay. You're 26. I'm 49. We both come on to this job new. Do you think players are going to be a little bit more inclined or more open to talking to someone who is a relative contemporary as opposed to someone who could be their dad? I don't know. Um, I feel like they could be more open to talking to someone younger. And I think it's just the um, I think there's an intimidation factor when it comes to talking to people that are older. Um, And this is me speculating. But um, I know if I were an athlete, and I saw like a new reporter who had years and years of experience or something like that. 
I'd be like, oh, I've got to be like, I've got to be on my best behavior. I've got to be kind of like sitting tall and answer like it's all about my team or something. Whereas like being like someone like me, maybe they can kind of shoot the shit on the side and be like, hey, yeah, haha, this is funny or like something about like TikTok or something like that. November 30th, 2021, Brian Kelly is hired uh, as a new coach at LSU. It's a bombshell story across America. <laughs> You've been there like a month and a half. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, how does that go down and how do you cover that as a newbie? Well, what was interesting was everything we had been hearing was Lincoln Riley. And at the time I was, you know, it was fresh off of Thanksgiving. I'm still in DFW. And my editor was like, is it totally crazy to send Leah to Bedlam to the Oklahoma, Oklahoma state game to ask Lincoln Riley, if he's going to be the next head coach at LSU. And he was like, you know, you understand if you do go, you know, talk to some Oklahoma fans, see how they feel about the rumor and then when it comes to the post-game interview, you need to be the one to ask if Lincoln Riley is going to be the next head coach at LSU. I said, okay, yeah, sounds fine. So I drove up to Oklahoma, which is not very far from DFW. I mean, it was hard. It'd be harder for me to get back to Baton Rouge anyway. And, you know, I go there, of course, they're still doing Zoom interviews. So in the post-game press conference, you know, I'd already kind of written the story and talked to all the fans. It was really fun, actually. And I wasn't getting called on. My microphone was muted and I kept, you know, putting my name in the queue. And but you're I, live or you're in a room on Zoom with Zoom? Like we're on, we're on Zoom, but we're all in the press box in a Zoom situation. And they're only calling on the Oklahoma right. Lincoln Riley is in a different place and you guys are on the press box waiting. Yes. for the Zoom. OK, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and they're only calling on the Oklahoma writers because they know that. I'm there to ask the question. They know that Sports Illustrated is there to ask the question. And any other media that's from, there were other people there. I wasn't the only person that was kind of out of place. So they finally call on this radio guy who asked the question, are you going to be the next head coach at LSU? Lincoln Riley says, I'm not going to be the next head coach at LSU. Of course, the next day we know what happens. He goes to USC. I'm headed back to Baton Rouge. And so I'm kind of like, well, now I look like an idiot because People are wondering why there's an LSU beat writer in Oklahoma, which is whatever. I'm the new person. And people on Twitter were like, why is there an LSU beat writer in Oklahoma? Um, so then Brian Kelly gets hired. Um, Wait, and- I have a question. Wait, stop one sec. This guy asked the question. You're in the press box and Zoom on the queue waiting to ask the question. He asked the question. Is your first reaction when he asked it? Fucking fuck. <laughs> yeah, I... I mean, I know it sounds crazy. I really wanted to ask the question. I was like, dang, I came all the way here and everybody else was like dreading the thought of asking the question. I was like, I don't care. I want to ask it. I want to be the person to ask it. Um, Let me ask you this. Does it, is this being on Zoom? Like, I remember I've been in circumstances where an editor is like, okay, you need to ask this question in per, and it's in person and your hands get sweaty and you're building yourself up to ask this question. Yep. Okay. Your heart's beating. All right. It's my turn. Maybe it's a press conference setting. The microphone comes to you and deep breath and you do it. Does doing this on zoom make it a million times less nerve wracking or no? I was still nervous. My heart was still beating like really fast, especially since I have never talked to Lincoln Riley in my life. Um, So yeah, I think um, the rest is kind of a blur. Like we get back, Brian Kelly gets hired the next day. I f- we're at the airport. We're watching him like 
walk in, I'm doing the Twitter thing. And then, you know, we're just kind of coming up with this game plan of content. Then boom, we're in the press conference with Brian Kelly. And um, once again, I was like, okay, my goal is to at least ask one question, which I think every only like, that's all we really got because there were so many people there. Um, And, you know, he was of course asked a million times, like, why would you leave Notre Dame the way that you did? And why do you regret leaving Notre Dame the way that you did? Do you feel like you had an adequate conversation with your players? And so I feel like a million times was like, people were asking like, why are you such an asshole? Right. I feel like that was like the number one question of the press conference. And after, and I had a list of questions prepared because I knew we were all going to ask the same stuff, but I go down the line. I'm like, you know, I'm going to ask what his plan is as far as, bringing good offensive linemen to LSU, there was this um, tidbit that, you know, LSU hasn't had a first round draft pick out of its offensive line since like the 1990s. And so I asked him, I'm like, how are you bringing offensive line? Like, how are you going to improve the offensive line at LSU? Are you going to still recruit from the same place, you know? And cause you recruit nationally at Notre Dame. Um, and so he gives me some like answer that's not super detailed, not super great. But I had some friends watching the press conference and they're like, Leah, you're the only person who asked a football question. And I was like, well, I don't know. And then we did get to meet Brian Kelly off the record for a few minutes after the press conference. And he remembered me. So I was like, okay, well, at least I asked a good question. What do you mean? How do you know he remembered you? Like how, how was he that? literally was like, he literally looked at me and he said, yeah, I remember you. You asked about offensive line in the press conference. I was like, cool. That's funny. <laughs> Wait, why? Um, this might be a weird question. Why was it so important to you to ask a question? You know, I, I'm a reporter. I'm on the beat. And I want him to know that, um, you know, this is somebody he's going to have to answer questions from every week when the season comes. And um, I also feel like there's this press conference culture in beat writing where people are like, they get annoyed when you sit back and you're not asking any questions, but you use everybody else's material. Right. Um, And so for me, I don't want to be that person who mooches off everybody else's work, everybody else's questions. And I also have my own questions that I want answered. And I don't think, I don't know if I trust other people to ask the questions that I want to ask the way that I want them to be asked. Got it. Wait, so how do you, um, you come out to this beat, you, again, you've never covered LSU football. Um, what is the what is the process like as far as are you studying media guides? Are you watching their old games? Are you like how do you actually uh, familiarize yourself with a team that you've never covered before? Yeah, and um, you know, I was finishing my job at Iowa. I finished my last two weeks, and I was helping the new beat writer transition. So. For me, it was after I got off the clock writing my Iowa stuff, doing my Iowa interviews. Um, and, you know, I was in somewhat of an interview process for a couple of weeks. I only had one interview, but I knew that I was in the running for this job. So I had YouTube TV and I recorded all the LSU games. And so I would watch the LSU games when I got off the clock with my Iowa stuff. And I would not really chart them or anything. I would just watch them take note of player. I look at the depth chart for each game and kind of take note of players and which ones are making the big plays. Um, Then I, 
I, when I got here, I read every story that the current beat writer Wilson had written um, from every, every game recap. I read every uh, game preview, every feature that he had done. Um, my friend Brooks had, had worked here before me, which is kind of how I knew about the job. So I read some of his old features. Um, I bought two LSU books. Um, it, one of them was Ed Orgeron's book um, about his road to winning the national championship. And the other one was It Never Rains in Tiger Stadium. So I kind of skimmed through Ed's book, even though I knew he was kind of on his way out. I still wanted to understand him and the program the timeline, the players he had coached. So I wasn't totally ignorant. So I basically, I, you know, media guides, I was told to read those front to back and, you know, you read those and I read like a, a lot of the assistant coach stuff, even though we don't get those. But um, for me, I wanted my, what was more important for me to know was what's going on right now. And then on the history stuff, I'll kind of catch up as I go later. All right. So um, how did you get this job? You're working in Iowa. You're covering Iowa football. You've only been there not that long of a time period, less than a year. How does this happen? So Brooks Kubina, who covered LSU football for a couple of years at The Advocate, uh, he and I went to University of Texas. So we're from the same program. And so I texted him congratulations when he got the uh, Houston Texans writer job at the Houston Chronicle. And he said, you know, there's an open job now, right? And I didn't really, I was like, oh, that's kind of funny to say because I just got this Iowa job. I'm at Big Ten Media Days, whatever. The editor, Perrin, I had met at an APSC conference years ago. And I remember I, I talked to him for a little while. And he's and at the time I was working in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And he was like, well, how do you like Steamboat? And I said, you know, I really wish I was at a paper that people picked up for the sports section. And I'm not at a place where people care about the sports section. So he said, yeah, well, that's what our paper is. And so that kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I've known Perrin. I know he what kind of editor he is. And so I sent him a message. I said, when are you looking to hire for this LSU beat writing job? And he was like, do you have something to say on the matter? I was like, look, I'm happy where I'm at. And I really, I really was super happy at Iowa. And, um, you know, I kind of bounced around jobs so much over the years. I was looking forward to staying somewhere, but I knew this was an opportunity close to home at a really big beat and a really, really prestigious newspaper where people had like Brooks had won so many awards. So I just sent my stuff and I really forgot about it for like a month. And then Hurricane Ida hit and, you know, they told me, Hey, we want to interview you. Then Hurricane Ida hit. So then another two weeks go by and they call me and, um, Perrin calls me. He's like, we want to interview you. And so I got all my game day stuff done for Iowa. Like I was up till like five in the morning and they call me the next day for about an hour. And um, all of a sudden, like I get a job offer when I'm driving to Ames, Iowa on the way to probably the biggest matchup in the state of all time. Iowa's number 10, Iowa state's number nine. They're playing in Ames. It's the, you know, game day is there. And I get a job offer and I drive straight to a brewery because I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So that's how it went down. What do you mean you had no idea what to do? Were you actually torn on whether to take this job or not? Yes. And I think people were kind of shocked by that because, you know, people who were really close to me were like, dude, you have to go to LSU. Like, this is nuts. This is SEC football. This is a top five market. 
you have to go. And I said, the thing is, is like, I've developed, I worked so hard to develop these relationships in Iowa. And also like, Iowa feels like home to me because it was my second time living there. And I had made all these friends and the transitioning year after year, after all these jobs that I've had, it's so hard on like your mental health. It's hard on your, it's hard just being a beat. And I was like really hitting my stride. I was starting to tell stories I loved and I had kind of gotten the podcast game down and I was like the beat writer. Whereas like in LSU, I was going to be one of two. And so I actually turned down the job at first. I told them no. I, and I, I sweat over it for like the whole weekend. Iowa won the game, which didn't help. And like my friend Kenny works with Des Moines Register. He was like, at the time, I was like, Leah, can you smell the roses? I was going to the Rose Bowl. Like, let's go. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like game two. So yeah, I turned down the job and the editor goes, I'm going to give you a few more hours. And I said, no, no, like I have to stay here. There's something to be said about relationships and, you know, working hard and doing well here. And I think I can get to my dreams working the Iowa beat. He was like, no, no, I'm going to give you a few more hours. He's like, talk to some more people, figure it out. Because my dream someday is, and I don't, it's not like totally set in stone, is either to be a national college football correspondent or like an NFL beat writer, you know, where I can live in a bigger city and um, work for a bigger, you know, a big publication or online outlet, whatever, have a podcast. We'll see. It's again. So I talked to some mentors of mine who were saying, you know, covering LSU, covering a coaching search, covering all the chaos that goes down there is probably going to give you more experience doing things that you wouldn't get at Iowa that would put you in the running for these bigger jobs that you want someday because you are going to be a bigger candidate. And then one of my mentors is Melissa Isaacson, who was my professor at Northwestern. And at first she was very supportive of me, like staying in Iowa. And then I called her again and she's like, you know, I'm supportive of whatever you want to do, Leah, but I'll just say this, like, I don't think if a man was presented with this kind of opportunity, he would think twice. And I, and like a lot of people were just kind of shocked that I turned it down, that I even sweat over it. And, you know, I come back, I accept the job. And I will say that like my editor also, the editor here now made like this pitch that was, you're crazy for turning this down. And so, you know, I accept the job, but I kid you not, Jeff, I was like physically sick for the next week. Like I had a fever. I thought I had COVID, but I mean, I'm fully vaccinated. I got tested like twice. I was like, so fizz. And they were like, you know, you might just be stressed. I'm like, you mean I'm stressed and I have a fever because I am stressed. And they were like, yeah, it's possible because I was like having to tell all these people. And, you know, the Iowa interview process was actually like a lot more. It was, it was so, um, it was like interviewing for the freaking Supreme Court. I mean, I made a beat plan for a year and I went through multiple rounds of interviews. It was so much work. And so I, I, I mean, I really sweat over it. I, and I, I cried like the lat, like my, the night before I left Iowa and with like, my mom was there helping me pack. And I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I feel awful about this. I just want to say when I left the Tennessee and I left the Tennessee and my first job to go to sports illustrated. And even though I knew it was the right move, I cried. I was devastated. I felt a sense of 
like I was betraying them to a certain degree, even though it's just yeah. a conversation. I, but you do build these relationships and these relationships matter to you. And I, I totally get it. Um, Kirk Ferentz really, he gave me a shout out in the last press conference. I wrote the story about him, about his time coaching women's basketball at the very beginning of his career. He's like, Leah, it's been a pleasure having you here. Um, we're going to miss you. Thank you for exposing me as a terrible women's basketball coach and best of luck on your next step. And I was like, God, the head coach of a power five program just began a press conference saying goodbye to me. I have to ask you, okay, you're working at the Gazette. You've only been there. You work there from January to October. That is it. That's a short span at a newspaper. You have to tell your boss you're quitting. Yeah. What is that like? Awful. Uh, luckily, the person who was kind of second in line for the job was working at the Gazette. And so I think that made it a little bit easier. I called my editor and I, cause I wanted to have the conversation in person, but I think he was out of town and I was like, I have to tell him now. So I called him and I was like, JR, I have some news. And I was like, I was like, I just want to say, I'm so sorry, but I just took a job covering LSU and I, I don't even remember what I said. It's such a blur. I was just like, I just remember apologizing profusely and just be like, I love it here. I've had the best time and this has been the best experience. It's invaluable, but I just, I, I got to go. It's closer to family and all this stuff. And at first he was kind of like, okay, well, um, call Zach, who was the executive editor. And he's like, and uh, we'll make a plan. My guess is probably John's going to take over for you. And, you know, we're sad to see you leave, but I certainly understand. I mean, this is a huge opportunity and congratulations. So I don't think any other editor would take it as well as the people at the Gazette. I really doubt. It is funny though. It is kind of one of those things. We always build these things up in our head. And then when we tell the person, generally people, that is a big jug of water. Leah, is that yeah. what <laughs> um, I try to drink a gallon of water a day? We interrupt this podcast to say that Leah then is drinking a big ass mug of water. Um, those things usually aren't as bad as we think they're going to be, because I do think most people, most people with a human head would be understanding that here's this woman. She's taking this job. It brings her closer to home. And oh, by the way, she'll be covering this huge program. You'd have to be kind of an asshole to be really callous about that. And, it, you know, it's because of the work I did at Iowa that I was able to get this job at LSU, right? Um, I think it was almost harder telling the fan base. It's funny because as the Iowa beat writer, the fans really act like they actually know you as a person um, through Twitter. And you actually do make friends with a lot of them. And and when I told them via t when I said it over Twitter, like there was some pushback, of course. And then... There was the, oh, well, we loved your work. We're going to miss you. I still, like, for weeks, um, people would just either respond to my LSU coverage, like, hey, you know, Iowa won today, right? And still a lot of them follow me. And then they'll just, like, tweet at me, be like, we miss you. And I'm like, stop doing this. I'm already crying. <laughs> Do you feel that the world of expectations that because you are a woman covering sports, you won't know as much as the guy covering sports has that at all been a thing you've experienced or is it possible that is something we have maybe left a little bit in the rear? I think it's, it depends on the context because I don't feel like unless I put a take out there, which, you know, to be honest, I am a little bit hesitant sometimes to put like 
my football opinions out there because I'm afraid of the pushback, which I know is maybe like wrong, but um, a lot of people, especially the coaches and stuff, they assume, you know, your, your stuff. And then I, especially if I'm asking them to explain specific things, like why is Iowa state's like star player, they have this defense, like a three, three, five defense or something or three, two, five, but this one player was called like a star and I was asking questions about that. And they were, um, it was kind of a hybrid position. And so they would fully answer. So I don't think like the, I think the players, I think the coaches have come around on that and they're like, you know, we're just going to treat you like a normal reporter. Like, you know, your stuff. Right. Um, I think some of the fans like don't and they'll throw like random stats at you like, oh, well, what about the SP plus ratings and the FP plus ratings? I'm like, yeah, OK, um, sure. I mean, there are so many different statistics to use out there and they all could be wrong. So I think from the fans and the like the fans, they're going to be like, oh, well, you're a woman, so you don't know. Or sometimes they're just kind of like they just disagree with you. And it's not just because you're a woman. It's because they just disagree with your opinion. Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who's home from college for the winter break. Bradley says I should no longer participate in this endeavor. Who's Bradley? He's the TA in my philosophy class. He wears tweed and went to Harvard. He finds commercialism to be beneath me. How did this even come up? We discussed market control over wheatgrass shots at a charming little cafe by the villa. I mean, has Bradley ever been to RoyalRetros.com? Does he know that you can go there and get all sorts of throwback jerseys and hats right now at low prices, that they're high quality and super comfortable? Oh, father. Bradley's in stod right now, saving primates. He has no time for such trivial matters. When you get these jobs, does it come with a stated expectation of what you will do on social media? Like when you when you interview for this job and you're hired for the job, are they are they saying, well, we expect you to do blank, blank, blank and blank with Twitter and Facebook and whatever? No, at all. No. I mean, it's obviously like be mindful of what you're saying, but there was not like a clause or anything that says you need to do X, Y and Z. Like you're an interesting case because I feel like you're very much like I was, which is you're someone who wants to cover whatever your beat is. I mean, you have framed old newspapers hanging in your apartment as we speak. You definitely have an old school vibe to you. Um, I feel like you're the kind of person, if Twitter never existed, you'd probably be a very happy human being. If there was no Instagram to post things on, you'd probably be a happy human being. What sort of responsibility do you feel social media wise comes with the modern beat writing job? I feel like you need to tweet when you're at events. Uh, You need to tweet all the news that comes out, tweet your stories. Um, I don't really use Facebook as much for my work. In Facebook, I post all my articles mostly for like my friends and family to see what I'm doing. Um, But yeah, I feel like there's this responsibility that when you're at an event or if you've written something that you you share it. And also I think like, I want to share those things. Um, I'm a unique case with Twitter. It's one of these things where everybody approaches it differently. I have used Twitter to connect with people. And I also have a sense of humor. And I think it part of that is because I've moved so far away from home so many times that this is how I would connect. And also I've heard, and I've read that this is true, that if people are more inclined to read your stuff, if they know who you are, and they know a little bit about you. And I think there's this huge distrust in media. And I think if I show and share a little bit of myself, 
maybe they understand where I'm coming from and maybe they read my coverage more. I, so for me, I do share a little bit, a lot of myself on Twitter. I do. And people, some people are like, Oh, I love that about you. That's so cool. And then when I was in Iowa, they're like, well, why don't you just tweet about Iowa all the time? Like I followed you because you cover Iowa, but I don't care about anything else. That's a mixed bag. You, uh, you just tweeted earlier today, this Brian Kelly sucks. LSU should fire him. When you, when you... <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, she did not tweet that. To be clear, you graduated from the University of Texas. Then you did the, um, you did the the master's degree uh, program at, at Northwestern. Why? So I came out of Texas with a biology degree because I went pre med, thinking that was what I had to do as somebody who went through. I went through cancer growing up. And I lost my dad to cancer. So there was kind of this inclination, this pressure to go into medicine. But when I worked for the student newspaper, I found out that my, and, you know, also I've always been a sports fan. Um, I found out that my heart was with sports writing. And I just, I knew like from the moment I covered like the Texas relays, I was like, I would be 100% happy if this was my job for the rest of my life. So of course I don't have a journalism degree. I don't have any internship experience getting an internship requires experience. Um, so, you know, I applied to jobs across the country as for daily newspapers. And I, I took one journalism class and that's what my journalism professor at Texas, Kevin Robbins told me to do. And so I said, you know, I kind of want to go to grad school and so I can get the journalism degree, you know, I can get the fancy internship like everybody else. Cause all my friends were, and my friends were super like, stellar what they did, but they were getting the big beat writing jobs right out of college. And that's what I wanted to do. And he was like, why don't you work for two years before you go to grad school and see if you actually like this, you know, for when you're actually being paid for it and, you know, you're, you're working it all the time. So yeah, I tried it out at first and I worked in at the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. And then I worked at the Steamboat Pilot and today in Steamboat Springs. And I went to grad school because when I was covering, I was in Steamboat, I was covering Winter Olympians, I was covering high school sports, I was covering hikers and stuff, but I really wanted to cover football. And I also felt like I was learning a lot on the job, which is great, but also like it's really hard because your mistakes are being published or your editors don't really have time at that level anymore to really sit down and line edit a story and tell me what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right. And then there's a lot of multimedia skills that come with the job these days that I didn't really know how to do. And um, so, yeah, I, I went to grad school for to kind of polish my writing without the pressure of being published and actually get that time with, you know, mentors and people to make connections, to get a bigger job and to also work in football. When you were at Texas, your degree was in what? Biology. I guess it's a weird way of looking at it. Is there like one of my friends and colleagues in this business, John, John Wertheim at SI, you went to law school and he has a law degree and, and there are advantages to being a sports writer with the legal background that he has. Are there advantages? Are there things that having been a biology major bring to you, your sports writing? Um, I think it's a, it's not as like direct as people think. Um, for me, biology is heavily rooted in research and it also makes you think very critically. So I feel like as a journalist, that that's all that we do. And so the first, when I went, took my first journalism class, 
I had this story idea about a running back at Lake Travis who was stuck in Mexico because his mom's visa couldn't get renewed for him to come back and play his senior season. So that night when I'm working on the story, I called 10 people. I come back the next day. I have all this information and I tell my press professor, I'm like, these are all the people I called. I have all this information. I don't know what to do with it. And he was like, you called 10 people in one night. And I was like, yeah, isn't that what you're supposed to do? So I feel like with biology, it gave me the work ethic and it gave me the sense that like to look at things very, very deeply and, you know, cover from all angles rather than, you know, maybe more so than some of the other people that did the journalism degree. And um, yeah, I think because biology is tough and like there were times where I was spending the night in the library studying to pass a class. So for me, like people always say like, oh, this is great work ethic. And for me, it's more like, I thought that's what was expected. Like this is normal to me. So I think from that standpoint, um, you know, with injuries and with stuff, I feel like I think anybody can pick that up um, from like research and analytics standpoint. I mean, maybe there's an edge there. And I have like, when I talk to medical experts for those stories, I do tell them I have a biology major and that I can understand. And I got really close with the Iowa team doctor because he said I was the first reporter he fully trusted to take his words correctly. And I don't remember what story it was. He was like, I just really appreciate that you didn't take anything out of context and that you explained things clearly. So. Was your mom like, wait, wait, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not becoming a doctor and wait, yeah. so what are you gonna do? Are you gonna become a lawyer? No. Oh, are you gonna, you know, are you gonna go into government? No. Oh, my mom still, still thinks that going to law school would be a great idea for me. Uh, <laughs> So and I'm from a Jewish family. So, you know, yeah, doctor or lawyer, you know this. Uh, <laughs> it was awful. Like at first, I, and I think the whole reason I stuck with biology too was because like, you know, when you survive this big thing, um, you kind of feel like you have to do something extraordinary. Right. And otherwise you're like, you survive something for nothing. And I think that's a very, it's a very damaging thing to kind of live with. Um, you know, for me, I've lost two friends in the hospital from cancer. And um, sometimes I still think, and then the pandemic hit, and I still think like, wow, I really should have gone into medicine. Um, but the expectation of a mother too is another weight. And for me, that was the whole reason why I was still continuing to stick out the biology thing, knowing full well like the first time I brought up, I wanted to do journalism. Sports journalism was when I was in the hospital and I was blogging my experience the whole time. And um, I got written about in Sports Illustrated. And she was like, honey, you're going to be like a bartender or something. And like, you know, people who major in journalism, they don't, she's like, they don't go very far. And, you know, you're not like a D1 athlete. So what's, what's going to happen? And so when I brought it, you know, when I decide like, hey, this is what I really want to do. I told my brother and my brother was like, I don't know why you're messing around with this biology thing. When we know full well, you want to be a football reporter. He's like, let me handle mom. If she gives you any pushback. So I told her, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like, I just got a refund on my MCAT prep course. Um, and I'm going to finish the biology degree, but I'm going to become a sports journalist and I'm going to move to Iowa. <laughs> I just want to say, I feel like you're doing this the right way. I really do. And I think 
I've had this conversation so many times in my life. Like there is a real joy and a value to spending time in the Mason cities of the world. And not just because later on you can tell stories about these small towns, like they're enriching experiences and they're interesting places to be. And you meet people you'd never see before And the whole, it's all part of the, like, in a way, I feel like your generation of sports writers and writers, a lot of people in your era, like you said, are jumping straight to straight from college to, all right, you're going to be covering the university of Colorado football team. And there's something to be said for those shitty little towns and those shitty little experiences and having eight months at this place and a year and a half at this place that I personally think builds you as a, as a writer, but also as a human being. I regret it. I was so mad when I was like for a while. Cause I was like, man, I really, really wish I would have majored in journalism. I really wish I would have done this and, you know, gotten the bigger jobs and you know, it, it's, it's a real inferiority complex. You know, you're working in a place like that and you're like 22 and you have other friends who are moving to big, like New York city or they're working a beat writing job and you're really hunkering down the middle of nowhere and working this job. And nobody really understands why you're there. And um, it's humbling. It's humbling, I think too. And that's, that's another thing that a lot of like sports journalists, I guess, humility is something that we need. Um yeah, it was, I, I don't, I wouldn't trade my experience. I feel like I have some funny, quirky stories. And then there was things that like really built my work ethic too. You're a little young for this question. We're going to ask, maybe you have a good one. Do you have, you know, if you listen to this podcast, do you have a best confrontation of your career story yet? Yes. Um, I was thinking about this because I know you ask everybody. Um, well, I put in my article in Steamboat Springs that this girl on the basketball team missed a free throw towards the end of the game. Turns out she made both. And I guess when I was taking photos at the time, I missed one of them um, or something like that. Or I just didn't, I wasn't fully there. Her mom <laughs> sends a very angry email to me and says that she thinks I should be fired. And she calls my editor. She comes down to the office and she she's like, she's like yelling. Um, but yeah, she was determined to get me fired. So that was, um, that was tough. Um, you were in the meeting when she came to the office. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. Like I wasn't in the meeting, but I was there when she came to the office and she just gave me the biggest death glare of all time. So. (laughs) Well, here's the bright side. It's going to get worse. You'll have better confrontations in the course of your career. I guarantee you. Uh, (laughs) Although there's nothing, there's a few things are worse than the scorned, parent of a high school athlete. They're still the worst. I still think uh, the parents of high school athletes are the worst. 100%. Like the Twitter trolls, the whatever, you're a woman, whatever. No, it's the high school parents. And I like, I tell people all the time, I am scared to death of those people. Wait, let me ask you a personal question. You could probably, it's been a while. How much were you making at Steamboat Springs? I think the year's salary was 38K. Oh, that's um, not bad actually. I was going to say, Cause I was going to say to me, like the line to this woman is, listen, lady, I'm making X dollars to cover your kid's high school freaking basketball game. Mistakes are going to be made. I'm trying my best here. Shut up. I was up. also the only sports reporter there. So. Yeah. Right. No one else cares about this game. I was there at the game. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, Leah, I, uh, I freaking love your rise story. Like I love it. And I think it's great that you took this job. You're hundred percent right. Taking this job. And I suspect very strongly you will be living your dream and covering an NFL team or being a national college writer probably sooner than later. And uh, I will say I had you here first on my podcast. <laughs> well, 
Thanks so much, Jeff. It's a dream to be on this podcast. That is a pathetic dream, but I'll take it. <laughs> I want to thank today's guest, Leah Van, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Leah on Twitter at LVan underscore sports and read her LSU coverage at theadvocate.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please consider going to the vehicle of your choice and leaving a nice review. I make no money for doing this, and I depend on word of mouth. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep riding.